Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Secret Truths, Conspiracies Exposed. I'm your co-host, Scott Patton, along with Mark Lewison. Hey, Mark, how you doing today? Oh, I'm great, Scott. How about yourself? I'm doing awesome. All right. We had the Olympics come and go, and it was a great two weeks of partying. Yeah, very exciting for you up in Canada there. Yeah. And of course, I took a break from the Olympics, came down to Scottsdale, Arizona, and spent a weekend with you hanging out in the Arizona desert. Yeah. <laughs> I went up to Sedona, Arizona, and it snowed while I was there. Oh, wow. And we don't have enough snow up here for the Olympics and the skiing and, and all that sort of stuff. Like, no wonder it's all down in, in Arizona. They actually closed the highway up to Flagstaff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How ironic. It was, it was just gorgeous in Sedona. Cool. Yeah. One of the things that was really fascinating about our time down there, we talked about it in our last podcast, was what we were seeing up in the skies. And of course, we ended up talking a bit about the UFOs. And we got a couple of really good comments. Comments coming, everybody. Yeah, thank you very much for those. And uh, so, yeah, so that's we've got weird things flying through the air. And I was thinking, you know, what about in the oceans? Do we have weird things flying in the oceans that we don't uh, know anything about? You know, I uh, I was watching I was watching something on the History Channel, believe it or not, that they were talking about. They're talking about, you know, you uh, they have a whole uh, a whole program. If you haven't seen it yet, it's called UFO Files. It's really cool. Every week they come out with a a new different evidence on you know different UFO stories and cases and. And this one that I happened to be watching was about USOs, which I had never heard of. What are they? That stands for Unidentified Submerged Objects. And basically what these are is, you know, UFOs in your traditional sense that people see flying around, but either they flew out of or back into the water. And so it's, I think it's pretty interesting to think about the, you know, the kind of technology that would allow people to have a flying saucer and fly around with without making any noise or or having propellers or any of that you know to any of the typical propulsion types and it seems to me that man if they can make that thing work in the air i wonder you know i wonder how it works in the water right and so we you know i started digging around you know i'm watching the show and then before you know it i'm digging around on the internet and it turns out that there is just an incredible history of USOs, even in, even well before they had UFOs. Wow. Because you know, back in the uh, back in the early days, um, gosh, as far back as all the way to Alexander the Great, and and then later on in the the 1400s with Christopher Columbus, and you know, these, there's we got people out there that are claiming, you know, as they're sailing around in their ships, which is the only, you know, that's how they got around back then. And so they're out there in the middle of the ocean on a, you know, clear night where they can, you know, see to, to the end of the horizon, basically. And you have all these stories of people talking about lights coming out of the ocean. And I, I thought that was just absolutely fascinating. <laughs> that is. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and so even up to today, we've got these same sort of things happening. I know uh, up in Canada over in Nova Scotia on the East Coast, there was... Uh, an incident in 1967 where uh, at about midnight, eyewitnesses noticed lights coming from 
uh, down from the sky and entered the water at a 45 degree angle. So the royal, the Mounties went out there and they they witnessed it and they searched the water till three in the morning. And noon the next day, the Canadian Navy divers were searching under the water throughout the whole weekend. And uh, according to reports, the object traveled underwater from the south to the north along the Nova Scotia shoreline. So a few days later, a second craft also entered the waters and seemed to rendezvous with the first one. And the authorities knew that the first one was basically resting on the seabed for about a week. And after... uh, after that week, both craft began to move underwater again. Then they broke the water surface and flew off into the sky. And uh, wow, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of wild that they actually knew where it, where it was, and and maybe they did go and, <laughs> and see, you know, meet somebody, and they don't want to tell us about it, or or you know, it'd just be very really really strange to say, well, you know, there it is, and let's sure. just kind of ignore it, right? Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating that all. You know, you got all of this, uh, all these people in the Navy in different places, like the Argentinian Navy, and and over uh, near Puerto Rico, and like you said, up in Nova Scotia, in Norway, got, they've had Nor- some. yeah, all, and and they've got them, you know, all over the United States, especially especially near Catalina Island in Los Angeles. Mm. Tons and tons of reports, and even as even as recently as uh, as the summer of 2000, we have. You know, a guy named Charles Howard on the USS Thorn, who claims to have seen, you know, lights coming up out of the water and doing, doing really unusual, crazy things. And, uh, you know, I mean, I can only imagine that the Navy must have, you know, volumes and volumes of reports on this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, like, it just kind of blows my mind that, you know, when you dive into it, you, you find, a, you know, all kinds of information. But before... Before this, I'd never even heard of a USO. So I think they're doing a pretty good job maintaining the uh, maintaining the cover up with that. I think. Yeah, that's for sure. Well, and then there's the uh, the you know the Australians seem to be getting a fair bit of this too up in Queensland. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, I think it's I think it's fascinating to think of you know when we think when we talk about UFOs and people are always like well the aliens have landed the aliens have landed and you know if they happen to be have capabilities to be underwater you know maybe they've been maybe they're already here maybe they've been here the whole time and and we never even knew it well if you have Christopher Columbus and Alexander the Great talking about these things and putting them in their logs and <clears throat> creating stuff that will help them go and investigate it more. And then we're not talking about something that's just uh, just happening. Yeah, I think the Alexander the Great story is just fascinating. Where you know he was he's been trying he was trying to find the, the lost city of Atlantis and and you know immor- you know be able to to achieve immortality and live forever and and here he is he, he talks about having this this experience where he sees these these lights coming out of the water and you know I mean he. He was so convinced of what he saw that he literally went out and built a almost like a, a miniature submarine kind of thing. You know how you see those guys that they're going underwater in their little suits or whatever, and they have like a hose, you know, attached to the ship up above that provides oxygen, you know, that's breathing air down the tube for him. Right. And he, he there's you know, there's pictures that show this this device that he created, and it's like a little, like a, uh, you know, like a 
a bubble of sorts, if you will, and and he's going, you know, he's down there and he's looking for, you know, looking for evidence of this stuff and trying to find the lost city of Atlantis and and I, just, I mean, this is hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I just think that's, you know, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, and yeah. we have so many legends of, uh, you, you know, you've got Hercules who was supposed to be a prince of Atlantis and. Uh, and, and not only that, one of the things that we know for sure is that our our shorelines were not always the same as they were, because in um, in the Caribbean, I think it's near Bermuda, they they see these massive stone structures uh, under about 50 feet or 100 feet or or five. Oh yeah, yeah, I saw those and pyramids. They even found like you know, pyramid ruins and stuff underwater. That's right. So, I mean, that could have been, you know, Atlantis, you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. And sure. then off the coast of India, I believe it's the west coast, they found another underwater city. And, of course, these aren't cities that were built underwater. These are cities that were on land that somehow, for some reason, end up now in our day and age as being underwater. Right. And they, and they weren't, you know, uh, like little mud huts that just kind of, you know, I mean, we're talking about massive stone structures here that uh, uh, that are just oh, absolutely yeah, absolutely enormous scale. Yeah, so we know that there's been lots of technology that's maybe been lost or or been used to create uh, create cities in the past, and now they're they're underwater. So there's been a lot of changes, and it just seems to me that um, you know. It, why would you not, you know, why wouldn't people who can fly through the air also, you know, uh, be submerged in the water? I mean, that'd be a great way to get around without making too much uh, of an, you know, have an impact on the the people living around you, right? You know. Absolutely, and uh, you know they've they've been doing um, they've been doing research and work on these electromagnetic submarines now that are able to glide through the water without any type of propeller or or traditional propulsion device. They basically take two electrodes and stick one of them on the front of the submarine and one of them on the back and run large amounts of electricity through it. And the electricity actually interacts with the salt water and creates, you know, creates this charged field that basically pushes uh, pushes the submarine from the back and pulls the submarine from the front right through the water and wow. uh yeah they've had i guess they had a big uh a big college uh contest about this thing to see you know have these college students try and develop a working model and and uh, it looks like they were successful the, some uh, one of the guys that works for him uh, i believe it's westinghouse engineering or something came up with this idea and put all his students to work on it and and made it a reality and he's He's pretty confident that this technology is going to take off in the future and allow them to do, you know, like right now we have these massive oil tankers and, you know, they're they're coasting along on the on the surface of the water and they run into all the kinds of, you know, all the storms and weather and waves and different different stuff like that that you have on the surface of the ocean. But if you could have, you know, if you could have a, a technology that would allow you to carry that stuff underwater and bypass all of the weather stuff, It'd be kind of the same thing as if you have, when you have an airplane that gets above 10,000 feet, you know, so you can get out of the, the turbulent zone and have a nice smooth flight. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, it's 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 a lot more reality than I 
but I would have realized it, you know, at first glance. Right, right. So where do you think uh, these USOs hang out? You know, that's that's a good question. Um, you know, every it makes me think of like uh, like the Bermuda Triangle or something. You know, I wonder if there's any any connection with between all the ships and airplanes and stuff that disappear over there. And it makes me, you know, I've I've looked into this a little bit, and it, you know, there's people that that think that uh, you know that obviously aliens are tied in with you know the disappearance of these ships. You know, people getting abducted and taken aboard the spacecraft. But I think that it was, but I found some other interesting stuff that talks about gravitational or vortic poles on the planet. Hmm. And we know that the planet has a north and a south pole, and, you know, we have this magnetic field around us that protects us from all of the sun's radiation and harmful rays and all that kind of stuff. Right. But they're finding that there's also other high and low points of, of the energetic field, if you will, um, throughout you know, throughout the planet. And one of them happens to just be at the, right at the point of the Bermuda Triangle. Hmm. What a coincidence. Yeah. And then you've got what they call the the Devil's Triangle. That would be just off the Japanese coast. Right. Right off of Japan. And, so, you know, a whole they, there's a whole grid of these things apparently around the world. And it has to do, you know, they've arranged it in this, like, geometric... Uh, arrangement somehow, and they they're trying to trying to figure out how this actually works and why we have these these places of abnormal um, magnetic field. Right, right. That's interesting. And I'm just looking. You actually sent me the map of the ten uh, vortices around the world, and we'll make sure that at uh, secrettruths.mypodcastworld.com we've got the map there for you to take a look for yourself. But, uh, you know, you'd mentioned the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle in Japan. But what's interesting is, is it's also right beside the Hawaiian Islands. It's right beside or in the Easter Islands are in this triangle. Um, Zimbabwe, yeah. where their mines and, and structures are, is, is also another place. And Tibet. So, you know, of the two, four, six, eight, ten that you've got, you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Seven of the ten are places that you know people either are very um, you know like the Tibet, very spiritual stuff going on there, or they've got a lot of history, right? Like the uh, Anunnaki when they came to the planet, if you believe what uh, Stitchin talks about, they mined for gold in uh, in Africa in the Zimbabwe area, and that's where one of these triangles uh, is, right? And then of course Easter Island, we've got the great mystery of uh, those heads in Easter Island and then right course, right you know you've got Hawaii is a very uh, sacred place as well and and uh, so it's interesting you know I mean you could have if you'd have picked uh, Western China and Siberia and you know Hudson's Bay and Alaska right. you know we'd be looking at it going well like what right yeah, sure you know, but basically they're going along the uh, Tropic of Capricorn, the Tropic of Cancer, and um, and in a very interesting pattern. And there are areas where people, you know, people say, "Wow!" Like for most of these places, like, "Huh, 
something. And I'm sure that if we look to you know north of New Zealand and west of Australia and around uh, Rio de Janeiro, we'd probably find some stuff going on there that just never really made it to our ears. Yeah, but, absolutely. And you know, I'm looking at the website right now, and it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of ironic because they taught the first. They list uh, five of what they call the vile vortices, which includes uh, the Bermuda Triangle and Karachi, Pakistan, and Devil's Sea and Southeast Hawaii. And then the first, and then when you get to the five positive helium energy vortices, the first one right on there is it says right between Sedona, Arizona, and Sonora, Mexico. Oh wow! <laughs> right yeah. where right where right, we were. Right where we were. Yeah. So I. I you know, I think that's really weird because, you know, there are a lot of people that talk about these positive energy places around the world. And just even just being in the desert, you know, we were we were thinking, you know, we were uh, exposed to some of the different energies uh, that exist there, and and uh, like the cat, the way the cactus grows, and oh, they're all the massive, they're just yeah, huge, all that kind of stuff, and. Uh, it really, it really makes you wonder, you know, how much do we, how much do we really know about all of this kind of stuff? And, and then they, you know, and then I was looking at, looking online here, and they're talking about, well, three quarters of the Earth is water. Yes. And, and at three, you know, three quarters of the Earth being water, and they were, they were talking about how little we actually know about our own oceans, and they were saying that we actually know more about the surface of the Moon than we do about our own oceans. And I thought, you know, it makes me, you know, reminds me of Jacques Cousteau and and those guys, you know, the great uh, oceanic explorers that, you know, that were just fascinated by all that, all that there was to offer there that we didn't know about, and you know, giant sea creatures and and lost cities of gold and all kinds of all kinds of fascinating stories. And as little as we actually know about it, it, it just just makes me wonder, gosh, how how plausible are all of these things? Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and then you got the Navy out there. And gosh, they've got all the sonar technology now where they can map the, you know, the surfaces underwater and all of the ocean beds, and that's how they came across these, you know, these stone stone uh, ruins that you were talking about. They're, they're looking at their little sonar maps, and they're going, holy cow, how did, you know, that doesn't look like, the you know, the seafloor to me. That looks like a pyramid, or that looks like a, you know, a clearly human human structure yeah. and architecture so I was, I was just like wow it, yeah obviously was built uh, some time ago and uh, and the, the when the ocean I guess probably during the ice age when the oceans were probably a lot lower than they are today and uh, yeah and I I could have sworn I've seen stuff that where they've you know, they found these some of these cities pyramids underwater, and they said, "Well, even if we go back as far as we, as far in time as we know, as far as human beings being on the Earth, we don't, you know, we don't find that these things were actually underwater at those time periods, or I mean, that they were above water. You know, it was mm-hmm. still, it was still underwater, and you know, the amount that the sea level changed between now and then is was not dramatic enough, and so they're kind of unexplained how these things got down there." So I I think that's that's really interesting and and then you've got of course you got these you know well, anytime you're talking about UFOs and stuff people always bring up cross circles and it's fascinating yeah. that they even have experiences in in uh, with these these water 
crop circles back in the... Oh, where is it here? The Tully... Tully... Uh, I want to say water nest. It's it's not. The Tully saucer nest. This guy, in January 1966, this guy is in Australia. Funny, in Australia. Yeah. And he's got... Uh, he's, out, he's out in the swamp, and he's doing his thing, and then before you know it, he sees this... You know, flying saucer-looking thing, you know, uh, hovering above, you know, above the horizon there, and he goes out to where he, you know, where he sees it, and he's checking it out, and all of the, all of the swamp grass and everything is laid over just the exact same as they do with a crop circle. Wow! Except it's swamp grass. Yeah, it's you know, it kind of rules out that whole theory with the guys out there in the middle of the field with their, you know, their two by four board and big old long string running around, you know. Right. Stomping down the grass, you know, how do you do this in the swampland like that? And, I mean, this is 1966, so he's, you know, he was pretty, pretty confident that, uh, you know, that this is not a helicopter or anything like that. So I, I, I think it's uh, pretty interesting stuff. It really is. And I just wanted to share, uh, when I was looking at these underground cities, because, you know, when we were talking about USOs and, you know, right. Maybe there are cities that, like, uh, you know, we, we bubble cities. We've, you know, seen them in the comics and that sort of stuff. Where sure, absolutely. Live. And uh, there's one off the coast of uh, Taiwan. In it's about 68 miles uh, on the east side of Taiwan, and uh, this there are submerged ruins on the south coast of these islands. One is a hundred by fifty by twenty-five meters man-made artifacts out of solid rock slabs, and they stand erect at right angles, and they're estimated to be around eight thousand years old. So, it'd be six thousand BC when this was put together, which is amazing for the kind of technology that would have been used to carve it. And uh, some uh, some say these ruins are the remnants of the missing continent of Mu which hmm. I thought really was fairly interesting. Other archaeologists attribute them to be the outcome of unexplained geological processes, although when you see the finely designed hallways and stairways, uh, you know, that, that it's natural is just like no, no way it's man-made. Oh, yeah, when you look at the picture of this, I mean, it's just, it's pretty, <laughs> it seems pretty obvious to me. I mean, these blocks are cut perfectly horizontal and straight. Yeah. And they're massive. I mean, this is not the kind of thing that, you know, like you said, you got stairwells and and very uh, very much you know architectural looking things. You know, not the kind of thing that you see on a uh, you know man or a you know natural like a mountain or a yeah. uh, plateau or anything like that. You know, this is this looks very 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 interesting. Yeah, and what's interesting too is it bears a similar. It seems to be quite similar to the architectural style of the Inca civilization. So. You know, when I think of the Incas, I don't really think of Taiwan or China, right? Right. No, neither so, do I. So uh, there may be some interesting, uh, when you go back into prehistory, some interesting connections there that hopefully as uh, people study these uh, places more and more, we'll be able to uh, come up with more answers. But there's a lot of submerged cities around the world. I was actually really quite surprised from Jamaica and Bermuda to actually to... Cleopatra's palace in Alexandria is underwater now as well, right? Oh, wow, I didn't know that. It's not that long ago, and 
you know, you've got India's got two or three, and what's interesting is, is uh, with the Indian ones, is one of them is where the god Krishna was supposed to live and have his main temple. So, hmm. uh, you know, and of course, when you read the the, the scriptures of ancient India and, and about Krishna and everything else, I mean, they were flying all over the place, right? So. Uh, you know, if you if you didn't know better, you would think that they were, you know, plane pilots or uh, rocket scientists and that sort of stuff that were doing their thing. And you know, if you think back ten thousand years, like how would you describe somebody who's in a helicopter today or in a plane today? You know, not knowing what it is. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty freaky. Well, I would and and even if you did know what it was, and it wasn't unusual, like go ahead ten thousand years from now. And sure. someone finds something that you wrote about planes, and they don't know what it is you're talking about. Right, right. So now what are the, you know, yeah, like, well, now how do you translate that into another language, you know, from our dead English language into the now living language, whatever it is, when you don't really have any understanding of, of what it is you're, that, that, that you that you, Mark, are now talking about, right? Exactly. You know, what's central heating? Oh, it must have been a fire in the middle of the hut. Right, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> right. Because right. <laughs> you know, con- we can't conceive of them having it or uh, or in the people that were translating these things in the Middle Ages or a thousand years ago had no idea that, you know, a man could get into something that was that he built and fly it, right? Right, absolutely. So the translations tend to, you sort of wonder... Uh, what would have happened when... And the same thing happened with the the Dugan tribe in Africa. Very, very remote tribe. This French uh, anthropologist goes and lives with them for two or three or four or five years and he gets close to them and he writes down their oral tradition. But he's, he writes it down in French and he writes it down as he understands it knowing that he doesn't understand anything that they're saying. <laughs> gotcha. And, right? You, now you fast forward 20 or 30 or 40 years and you translate what he wrote into English and they're saying, well, you're describing cloning. Oh, you're describing genetic manipulation. Oh, you're describing a uh, star between in the Orion's belt. I'm not sure if this part is actually true, but it's, the analogy is correct, that we didn't discover till, uh, you know, like 10 years ago. But the guy wrote about it 50 years ago and it's been in their oral tradition for thousands of years, right? So how did these people with no telescope know about this star that we just found out about? Well, when you ask them, the people from the star told us, right? Right, right. <laughs> and we and we we don't want to believe them, right? Because yeah, we're just yeah, we're thinking you know those guys were you know unless they ate too many uh, too many psychedelic mushrooms or something out there and they're in, in you know, the doing, desert, yeah, right? doing their rain dance or something. Heat stroke. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so it's really it's really quite fascinating when you think about how, uh, you know, even when you look at the Bible, right, or you look at the uh, ancient Mesopotamian uh, cuneiforms, cuneiforms and, and how we translate those things, we translate them with a definite bias to, you know... Uh, the way that nobody we was nowadays, huh? Yeah, nobody was really flying, you know. We know there were no helicopters in those days, so this must be an analogy or a parable or something else. When uh, I'm starting to look at all this stuff and rereading this stuff from the perspective of literally taking what they say as what they meant, 
our translation of what they say as what they actually meant, right? So yeah. When the I mean, Red Sea parted, like, yeah, there was this great ocean of water, and half the water went one way, half the water went the other way, and the people crossed. How did that happen? Well, there was a catastrophe, and that's how it happened. Yeah, it's interesting, because, I mean, they, why would people use this, you know, such elaborate metaphors and analogies if... You know, I mean, these were pretty, seemed to me, pretty simple people back then, and they're trying to relay a, you know, a, a specific message, and it seems like, you know, they were... And they weren't trying to convince somebody. Like, it wasn't like they were trying to no, convert you. No, they're just recalling a, an event and, and, yeah. and telling their telling their story of, you know, what, what they experienced and what happened with them. And Yeah. And, and we know that there's been a lot of catastrophic things that have occurred, because in the past uh, few weeks, we've had an earthquake in Chile, we've had an earthquake in Haiti, we've had uh, the tidal waves from those hit different places. We've, you know, so, uh, and we're just, I think, we're in a really quiet time, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think it was probably a little more exciting uh, 5,000 years ago or a couple hundred thousand years ago. Yeah. And, well, and we know, you know, that, uh, well, I, we, our theory, I guess, is a better way of putting it, was that the dinosaurs died because a massive meteor hit the Earth, and we know where the crater is. We we found other craters, so sure, you know. But I mean, if you were a caveman when that crater hit, like, what would you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that must be. Uh, that the must gods be. were angry, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Lightning and you know he took fire. Took stick and he just knocked the Earth and. That's right. He That's right. For twenty years. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe uh, you know, maybe we're coming up on a, a more exciting time, you know, nowadays with that that big earthquake that we had in Haiti, um, and, and the other other earthquakes that you know things that have been going on with the tsunami waves. Everybody's talking about coming to hitting Hawaii, and yeah, and it's uh, it's it's interesting to think, you know, I I know some people that. They may they, they don't buy the official you know they're not buying the story because there's some there's some uh, there's some contradicting evidence that's happened you know that's coming out about these these earthquakes with regard to the to the aid you know the, the humanitarian aid efforts and right and, and we're going to be working on an expose of that for our next show right yeah that's gonna that's gonna be a fun one we're gonna uh, we're gonna what, dive in and what and, really uh, happened in Haiti and Chile. Exactly. Yeah. What's what's the what's the real story behind all that? And and do you know? Does the government have, or does anybody have the the power to to affect the weather or affect you know things you know natural disaster type of things or be able to create an earthquake? You know, I I don't know. But it would certainly, gosh, if you had a if, if that was you know if they were able to develop something like that into a weaponized kind of a system, man, that would be pretty scary to. To be able to create a natural disaster somewhere, and nobody knew that that it wasn't really natural. Right, and that's the whole thing behind the harp, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Control the weather and, and that sort of stuff, and the energy, in a way that nobody really knows or points fingers, right? Yeah, it kind of it reminds me of that movie Contact, where uh, where you got that billionaire flying around. You know, he's flying around up in his up in his uh, his little airplane. You know, this kind of like a spaceship airplane and he's just fly, he's flying around up there and and he's got so many billions of dollars he's building things that are you know making things happen that nobody even knows about and and it makes me wonder i mean gosh how many 
how many people have the the kind of money nowadays to to be undertaking projects like that. I mean, could you, you know, if you had a hundred billion dollars or something, could you make an earthquake machine? I don't know. Yeah. So that'll be that'll be yeah that'll definitely be interesting to dive into that one and and uh, dig up some dig up some good evidence to come up with. Awesome. So we've uh, come to the end of our time together once more. Mark, it's been absolutely fascinating stuff to see you share. We want to thank everybody for joining us. And if they want to know more, leave some comments. Uh, Mark, where can people go? They can visit us on secrettruths.com, secret with, uh, with one T. And they can also visit us, I believe, at secrettruths.com. Um, mypodcastworld.com yeah that's right leave comments or questions what you think about what's going on yeah and if you guys have any have any evidence or links of uh, information that you'd like us to, to check out and investigate and bring up on the next show please please send, please send them on in and we'll uh, we'll be sure to address all your guys' questions and dive into, dive into this stuff deep for you that's right Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time. Have a great week. Bye-bye.